Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the love of your life so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have amazing sex together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with free resources like my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams, and a guidebook for finding the love of your life if you haven't already met her. All of this is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. How do you relate to your pleasure? Do you find it innocent or guilty? What if you believed your primal urges and the things you're drawn towards were the most innocent and authentic parts of you? Would you treat yourself differently than you do now? Would you honor your desires more if you saw them as precious and important? The part of our brain that thinks is the thing that tells us we're not supposed to want things. But evolutionarily speaking, that's actually the youngest part of our brain. On the other hand, the part of our brain that drives our primal urge for pleasure that evolved billions of years earlier, and that part of our brain is exponentially older and wiser. Our bodies know so much more than our minds do. If our minds were left to figure out how to get our lungs and eyeballs and kidneys and endocrine glands to all work, we'd be screwed. So how deeply are you listening to the wisdom in your body? When we feel pleasure, it's our body speaking to us. Our pleasure and the extent to which we pay attention to the pleasure our bodies want, that can be the answer to everything from better sex, to easy weight loss, to deeper authenticity. And in this episode of Women Wanting Women, Jenna Laflamme, a leading sacred sexual empowerment and body confidence coach, explains how and why. And the best part is that she's bisexual. So in the interview, we talk about all this in the context of women being together. Jenna's mission is to spread the knowledge that our bodies are sacred and so is our pleasure, sensuality, and sexuality. Jenna offers private coaching, e-courses, movement journeys, meditations, transformational workshops, and ceremonies to help women reconnect with their bodies as wise, intelligent, intuitive, pleasure-loving animals. Jenna Laflamme's unique approach to pleasure, sensuality, sacred sexuality, body confidence, pleasurable weight loss, and pleasurable living have made her a sought-after teacher, and she's been featured in Elle, Glamour, The New York Times, and Prevention Magazine. You can learn more at jennalaflamme.com, but before you do, please enjoy this tantalizing interview with the one and only Jenna Laflamme. Hi, Jenna. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Jordana. What a pleasure. So I wanted to jump right into pleasure, speaking of pleasure, because that is your domain. And I've heard you say something amazing, which is that pleasure is authenticity, and it's a prerequisite to a healthy life. Can we start there? Why is that? Tell me more about that. Well, your pleasure is what makes you feel good, alive, inspired, free, and nobody can tell you what that is. So for me, that's why it's authenticity. Your authenticity is that which is authentically arising from you. Nobody can tell you what your authenticity should be, obviously. It's the antithesis of that. So when you're following your pleasure, be it your sexual pleasure, your sensual, your love life, simply whether you prefer to gaze at clouds and birds or look at art or make art or do something completely different, it's, it's your truth. So it's very important to be paying attention to your pleasure so that you are maximally authentic and then carving out your unique, satisfying life. What I love most about that is when people say things like you should be authentic, that tends to, it, it tends to be something that just people say a lot. But I love the idea of following your pleasure as being a route, a pathway to get to our authenticity. I think that's such a great pathway there. When you talk about feeling good and feeling alive and feeling inspired, what about people who don't feel that way? 
well, then that's a sign that something's wrong. Like that's how it's meant to be. When we experience pain in life, it's meant to be a wake up call. It's pleasure is our evolutionary compass. Originally, there was only such a thing as a healthy pleasure. Can you imagine back in the, the cave days, if you were embraced by someone, a warm embrace, a hot fire, food to eat, honey, fruit, sunshine, like all the pleasurable things were good for you and health giving. So you would just orient towards them. And the painful things were the, the dangers that could potentially pre prevent survival, cause death. And we were meant to orient away from those. So nowadays it's more complicated because we have what I call counterfeit pleasure, which is things like junk food or you know, too much Facebook or these things where it doesn't feel like a choice anymore. Uh, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction, where we feel like we have to go to that pleasure and that's not the real thing. So true pleasure is the one where it's freely chosen from a buffet of choices. Counterfeit pleasure is the compulsive pursuit. So if someone's not feeling happy, alive, they're probably feeling anxious, depressed, and, and trust me, even as a pleasure expert, I have my waves of going in that territory. I'm, I'm human after all. And I've been through some, some loss recently and really feeling some of those feelings. And it's not about covering them over with pleasure, let me numb them, let me, let me not feel them, but rather let me learn from them what what are they trying to tell me? What do I really need? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to transform? How can I, how can I move on from here to return to this evolutionary path of what makes me feel alive and full of pleasure? I really like that image of back when we were living in tribes or caves where if something was pleasurable, it was healthy. So being close to the people that were in our tribe and, and embracing them or being near a warm fire or finding yummy food and eating it, any of that would have been really healthy. But now we live in this modern society where there's processed food that plays off of our pleasure centers and actually makes us addicted. And there's all kinds of other things that might not have existed back in the day, like maybe the worst drugs they had when we were cavemen weren't even bad. They were like mushrooms and that just made everybody smarter. Um, and so those things that felt pleasurable actually were, and it must, it is kind of confusing for us that we're living in a world where there is this counterfeit pleasure that, that it actually makes things confusing, right? It means that we need discernment. We need to really be in the moment eating. So let's say even a piece of beautiful chocolate cake, um, have a bite, how does that bite feel? Do you feel expansive? Do you feel, you know, do you feel good? Have another bite, have another bite. And there'll be a certain point where it feels like a contraction. It feels like oh, that's too much now. A headache will come in or a stomach pain will come in or some feeling like that's, that's enough now. And that's when, you know, a, a true pleasure can become a counterfeit pleasure when we stop being aware during its consumption. Right, a lot of paying attention so that we can feel whether we're expanding or contracting. Right. And and really tapping into our body's wisdom. That's another reason why pleasure is authenticity because you can only have pleasure by being present. You know, what, what do you see, taste, smell, feel, sense generally? If you check out, you're, it's not true pleasure anymore. It's just an idea. It's just an idea. It's a concept. Of, I think this is a pleasurable thing. I'm not having the direct experience of the pleasure. And we've all done that in sex, I'm sure. Like, check out and we're going through the motions, but we're not actually feeling it. And like, oh, I have an orgasm. I wonder why. I'm like, I was spaced out or I wasn't able to really connect with my partner. I wonder why. So presence then is authenticity because you're really in the moment. You're available. Almost using the pleasure we get as a meditation to wake up more in the moment as opposed to judging and having ideas about it. But, but right. I love that. Since we touched on the cave days, I mean, for me, that's one of the most obvious examples that making love with women has been in our, our DNA since the beginning. And you can just only imagine we're in the caves. It would have been a tough life. Like there's, there's no walls. There's no, hospital there's no shops like it's pure survival these are our 
blood descendants, Jordana. Like we are the descendants of cave women. That's that's badass to contemplate. And I believe that they had no room for body con for lack of body confidence. They had no like, oh, body image issues. They're just like, wow, this is my body. I survived with this. This this is my best friend. This is my gift. And I could imagine the men going off hunting and the women being in the cave tending for the family. And of course they were cuddling and kissing and making love and holding each other. And that's just, for me, that just seems obvious. I never even thought of it before, but I love this image of our ancient ancestors making out in caves with the women. I mean, yeah, that's so interesting. The thing about the hunter gatherer existence was that they didn't believe in possession. There was no such thing as we own this cave or, you know, well, I killed that, you know, bear so or whatever it would be that tiger so that's my meat everything was for sharing everything was belonging to the group and they they said there was groups of 150 people more or less they call it Dunbar's number they they believe that humanity grew up in groups of around that size and everyone took care of each other's needs the kids were communally raised the food was shared and needs including sexual needs were taken care of by each other so it's just only natural that you know, men, women, men together, women together, we would have taken care of each other's needs in that way. I really love this image. I had never thought of it before. That's, that's great. I've heard you mention the words erotic innocence before. What do you mean by that? Erotic innocence is one of the most important principles I teach. It's central to, to everything. And the idea is that your erotic innocence is the the part of you that loves pleasure, that that seeks it, that's drawn towards it, be it the sunset, be it a cute little baby, be it delicious food, a gorgeous woman, whatever it is, when we're drawn towards that through our senses, through our curiosity, that's our erotic innocence driving us. And it comes from the reptilian part of the brain. So there's the triune brain theory, which says that there's the neocortex, the thinking part, the limbic part, the emotional part, and then the instinctual part is the reptilian part of the brain or the primal brain, you call it. And that part is only interested in, do I like it or do I not like it? It's like a, oh, I'm drawn towards it or, ooh, I'm repelled against it. Is that pleasure, survival, you know, um, promise of further existence, or is that a threat, danger? So the innocence part means that there's the lack of the neocortex chiming in to say, oh, but that's against our religion, or I'm not allowed that, good girls shouldn't have that, or, you know, that's I wasn't supposed to do that. Judgment, shame, limitation, that's the, the neocortex. And I can say my first experiences with women, let's say, were fraught with that that guilt and shame. And I went to a girl's school and like lesbian was like a dirty word. And um, I never had a, a role model that's like, of course you can explore that. That's an innocent, beautiful thing to explore. You feel the urge, go for it. You're not going to get pregnant. Like have a blast. Uh, and so that's, that's the energy that I'm, I'm here to, to bring to the planet is to allow the, the cortex, the thinking brain to just shh, turn down the volume. Okay, your limitations, your judgments, just put that to the side for the moment. And let's give some airtime to this impulse. Do you like it or do you not like it? Because so often we, we convince ourselves like the concept of I like this, but we actually are not. Or we reject the things that we really like because we think we're not supposed to. So it's getting down to that pure, direct experience with life. And it really is a very spiritual experience to quiet the, the judgments and to truly listen to the truth of your your body and your primal brain what do i really enjoy what am i really curious about and letting us see it as something innocent not calling it a judgment bad wrong not okay really allowing what our our primal self feels to be yes, saying, being a yes to that for ourselves. Exactly. And then if you're into it, it's an innocent yes. And if you're not into it, it's an innocent no. So either way, it's innocent. And I came to this after 
I really explored sexually Jordana and I was living in New York and I was exposed to so many beautiful scenes and, and parties and really sex positive environments and um, sex positive communities. And they're very rich on that in New York, which is wonderful. And I was having a blast, but I felt this this guilt inside and this shame. And that I, I shouldn't be enjoying this and I shouldn't be wanting this. And like, oh, who am I to have this ravenous appetite for life? Um, being bisexual, um, having male partners at times, having female partners at times, I did this deep inquiry into the guilt. Is this really wrong? Is this really bad? And I reached this point of innocence where I just, I had soul searched myself up and down. And I was like, no, this is right to me. And that's when I discovered this idea of erotic innocence from a friend and teacher. And I was absolutely liberated. And I've just been chanting erotic innocence uh, since that day. And I really set myself free. Like I reached this point where I decided I would rather be alone for the rest of my life than go against what's true to me. Because I had a boyfriend at one time and he would say to me, you're not bisexual. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're with a man. That means you're not bisexual. And I was like, uh, you're crazy. <laughs> but I just, I was so disempowered at that time. I, it took me a long time to really stand up with him and ultimately break up with him. And that's when I reached that point of like, no, I, I will never let someone define my sexuality or put it into a box. I would rather be alone than be suppressed. So, you know, you can imagine I wasn't alone for too long. No, I doubt that you were. And I love this idea of erotic innocence. And I think it's actually a great pathway to get back to pleasure as authenticity. Um, really seeing whatever feels good as right and being able to pay attention to it enough to be authentic to ourselves. I love this. Did you come up with this term, uh, um, erotic innocence? I learned it from Saida Desile. Such a beautiful word. Really beautiful. So I, you definitely are a woman who can be described as sexually empowered. Um, and I was wondering if you have any advice um, about how women can access it, especially, you know, because so many women are shut down sexually and, it's, and, and you kind of represent the opposite of that. The place to start is really with yourself, self-practice, self-training. And we talk about physical training, you know, do a sport or a dance class or you know, train, train in music, train in art. But sex, we're supposed to just somehow get it. And that is a, a real issue in our culture. So we need to train. And it, it took me a while to get there. I was in my, I think I was 20... Six, twenty-five, before I knew how to give myself an orgasm. That's how disconnected I was. And a lot of women have that experience. Either they can't give themselves an orgasm or they don't know how to have an orgasm with a partner, one or the other. And it really took it took training. It took learning how to use elements that I now teach. Breath is and movement is an element, which is moving your spine, your body, also learning how to move the interior of your vagina using engaging those muscles in a conscious way. And um, focus, awareness, things like that. These are the, the building blocks of oh, energy, of sexual empowerment. Uh, it's the vocabulary. So going to bed yourself, uh, you know, vibrators are, are, are lovely things that they're in, in more sort of sexual cultivation. They're not necessarily recommended because um, it's better to just feel your own energy. Not knocking them, and I do use them. But in, in terms of like that pure training energy, um, working with a dildo is wonderful because it's great for touching your cervix, your G-spot, getting inside. Um, you know, fingers, hands, you know, whatever inspires you. As, as toys, as accoutrement. Um, but yes, having that that time where you're you're putting in your your self practice to then when you show up in the bedroom with a partner, you know what you can do by yourself. I mean, it would be like going to a partner dance and you 
you know I can dance well by myself, you can dance well by yourself, let's see what magic can we make together, rather than, I can't dance, but can you make me dance well, is never going to give the same effect. So practicing on practicing with yourself so that when we show up with, with a partner, we're stronger. But what about for women who've experienced sexual trauma or when there's like a serious issue that you're having? Um, there's a lot of women who aren't sexually empowered because of, of really difficult things in their past. And I know that's something you also had to overcome in your life. Yeah. I lost my virginity being raped um, and when I was 15. Uh, on the street in, in Brisbane, Australia, I was had been at a nightclub, snuck in with a fake ID with a friend, and there was free beer, and um, somehow I lost my friend, and then this this happened. And, yeah, that was definitely traumatizing as a 15-year-old, for sure, and I repressed it for about four years. I didn't tell anyone. And then I started doing yoga and meditation and practicing being present, and lo and behold, when you meditate you can't repress your your truth anymore it just all comes up so I went through a, a big journey I did I had a few different counselors went to the rape crisis center I made I was in university at the time and I changed my schedule to part-time so that I would have time to go into nature and and cry and heal and feel the feelings and at that time I actually came out as a lesbian I Part of my healing was like, no man will ever touch me again. This is like, no. And I, um, I was in university and there was a, a wonderful queer department, like a, a queer club, social club. And I would go there and, and meet women and just felt so supported and you know, read a lot of books about Safism and just like really educated myself. And then... And and did and I did healing and the healing I did with the counselors, some with uh, facilitated by plant medicine with really wonderful skilled guides. Through that process, I felt like I really moved through the trauma and and had a lot of healing. And obviously, it's it's a very long story. Part of my story was um, doing a confrontation with the predator, uh, with the perpetrator, where it turned out it was a stranger, but it turned out that it was the brother or somebody in my school and and there's a great book um I'm the name is is eluding me right now but oh no the courage to heal um that I I worked with the workbook and and did that and it really helped so now I help people professionally with trauma and so I can can be that service that I sort of pulled together from my community and I can work with people in person and help them release the trauma. There is a, a component of the physical release of screaming it out, of shaking it out, of your body actually releasing. And what we see in nature is in the, in the presence of threat, fight, flight, or freeze. So we usually just hear about fight or flight. You're going to fight the predator or you're going to run away. The other one is freeze, which is play dead. And that's often like the trauma response because we feel like we, we can't fight, we can't run away, we're trapped, but we'll play dead, which means we dissociate out of our bodies. And then that becomes a pattern that now it's 20 years later and we're with our lover that we really love, but we're finding it that we're dissociating and frozen. So what we notice in nature is that, let's say a tiger comes after a gazelle and the gazelle plays dead and the tiger thinks, oh, that, I'm not gonna go after the one, that one's dead. And then when the gazelle finally gets up, they don't just get up and like saunter away slowly. They get up and they go nuts and they like, ah. so if the tiger was there, the tiger would be shocked and would like ah, go away. Um, that's the idea. And also it's, it's rehabilitating their system after going into that freeze mode, they're like reinvigorating and like getting that fear out of the system. So trauma release includes that, like ah, like really releasing what's been stuck in the body like we see in animals. With a movement practice? With a movement practice, yeah. And what does that look like? Does it, is it a... Uh, it can be shaking, it can be screaming, it can be kicking no, it can be um, many different, there's some specific practices of how to use your, your body. 
If there are women who are experiencing sexual trauma and aren't connected to their pleasure because of something terrible that happened, how, how sure are you that this is something they can get through? Like, can you confidently tell them there is a light at the end of this tunnel if you work on it? Yes, I can confidently tell you there is a light at the end of this tunnel if you work on it. Healing is absolutely possible. Uh, returning to that erotic innocence, I truly believe our innocence ultimately cannot be lost. It's in us forever. And that pure crystalline truth of whether you enjoy something or you don't enjoy something and you have the authority to dictate your path is the birthright of each of us. And when we've been trespassed, you know, that was wrong. That shouldn't have happened. It should never have happened. And if it has happened, we, we can heal and we can get back on track. And uh, The Courage to Heal is a book you recommend? Yeah. Um, and what other, what other resources would you think? I mean, going to the crisis center is a great idea. Um, what would be some real recommended resources and practices? Of course, obviously, anyone who could afford to should be starting with your coaching. But um, for anyone who can't and just wants to do some self-research. I mean, things like shaking, I was saying, moving, sounding, um, screaming. There's a sequence I take people through where we're, one part is punching the pillow. Another part is screaming into a pillow. Um, another part is putting your legs in the air and going, no. No, no, like doing these strong things that um, release energy and give you that sense of power and boundaries. Um, you know, there's a component of, of really dropping into, you know, it was wrong that they did that because so often we, ha we blame ourselves. You know, oh, if I hadn't been snuck into an underage nightclub and, you know, had beer, well, then that wouldn't have happened. That's my fault. And so whatever, children have that. Even, you know, if I hadn't been such a cute little girl, it wouldn't have happened to me. You know, crazy narratives that we carry. So really that complete exoneration of guilt from yourself and really putting that responsibility on the other one. At some point, forgiveness can, can be part of it, but you never need to push it or force it. It needs to be naturally arising. And then the pleasure. So that was, I was talking about the, like the, the releasing, but also um, getting loving massages, going to beautiful, you know, go, going to a spa or a beach or just lying in the sun in a safe place. I think that was so healing for me was being in nature where nobody's going to attack me here and I'm, I'm safe. So what erotic innocence needs is a bodyguard. You can think of erotic innocence is like a field of orchids absolutely exquisite but it needs protection if a storm blows through or if someone just like drives through the tractor that will be destroyed so it needs boundaries you have to have those two parts of yourself the part that is the erotic innocence and the part that is protecting the erotic innocence this is also great and so important for people to hear that for anyone who's been through these unthinkable things um that there that there is a way through it and that there can be great pleasure and great connection and great joy on the other side. These are amazing resources. And I love that idea of, of the bodyguard of the boundaries and then um, all the other resources you gave. Thank you so much. This is so valuable. You're welcome. There's another thing that I think our community struggles with. It's a fear. I'm not convinced that it's real, but I know that it's a real fear that people have. And we call it lesbian bed death. Um, and I know that you've been a student of Mama Gina, Regina Thomas-Shower, and, and one of the things she talks about is turn on being our highest responsibility. Um, so I wanted to speak about that, about women who've been together for a very long time, and if the sexual energy is waning, what, um, what are some recommendations? What do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, I want to say this is just as prolific in the, the straight world. Um, so yes, it's, it's everywhere. And I mean, what's happening there is that our erotic energy is getting deprioritized or maybe it's being suppressed because of trauma or being overworked in life, being exhausted, not 
not being resourced, not being refreshed, and not having pleasure as a priority. So our world is set up that pleasure is a luxury. You know, it's a once in a while thing, uh, maybe on the weekend. And the rest of the time, you need to be a worker bee, you know, paying your taxes and devoted to keeping the economy going and all that rubbish. And no, how it's meant to be, as I see it, is there's the two domains of life, the functional and the sacred. The functional is what we need to do to to get by. Yes, to pay the bills, put a roof over our head, food on the table, so on. There's some, you know, the taxes, functional things, you just got to do them. But the purpose of them is to create space for the sacred. The sacred is the eternal. The sacred is really which that which gives us meaning, that which feels like magic, with the joy, the pleasure, the aliveness, the things that we will... You know, remember on our deathbed will be the sacred moments, not just washing the dishes. And we could try to bring like a sacred energy to washing the dishes, but inherently it's a functional thing. So what's really important, and I work with couples on this that want to bring more passion into their lives, is to really have a deep reflection on functional and sacred. How are they playing out in your life? Are you giving the sacred, just the crumbs of your energy and your attention? Is the functional swallowing your whole existence? And imagine like having kids also makes the functional so much more demanding. Um, so if you're having bed death, I would say um, the functional has, has taken over. And and then specifically, like the, the sacred um, needs more attention and specifically the erotic aspect of the sacred needs more attention. And, and really, what is more sacred than sex? I mean, it's the cliche is like, oh, my God, when you have an orgasm um, all over the world, people do that. Why? Right. Oh, because my God. You're right. That's, that is the thing that people say, isn't it? Right. <laughs> oh, my goddess. <laughs> right. Um, because it feels divine. We feel that connection with the the greater powers of the universe when we get into that orgasmic state and you know orgasm has that um, connotation often is defined in a masculine way like a masculine ejaculation and a woman you know should come like that um, really a woman's orgasm is is so much more than that we have we have valleys, we have peaks, we can be multiply orgasmic, we can have ejaculating orgasms, we can have G-spot cervicals, clitoral, so many different varieties of orgasms that I like to think of it as being orgasmic um, as opposed to that goal orientation of like, did you have an orgasm? I mean, both are great, but it, it's nice to expand orgasm into an orgasmic state and through it, through that whole orgasmic state, you can feel that, oh, my God, this is really fine <laughs> moment. Um, so if you're in that with your partner to really have that that talk, is it, is, is it our shared value to rehabilitate the situation? Is it our shared value to bring back the sacred, the sacred erotic, the sacred sexual energy? And then uh, let's you know, how should we do that? And a beautiful way to do that is with, with sensual massage, with erotic massage. And this is very suited to women's sex is, okay, one receives and I'm going to give you a, a body massage and a breast massage and an inner thighs. And now I'm going to give you a pussy massage and you just receive, receive, receive. And you don't have to have an orgasm, no pressure to perform. This is just about you receiving. And then and then switch either in the moment or in another occasion. And this is what I teach straight couples to um, when it's like, oh, there's a tension around having sex, do, do an erotic massage. And I like that idea of the no pressure to perform because there can be pressure around orgasm. Definitely. And I think letting go of that and just being in the orgasmic state as opposed to focusing on the orga orgasm itself is great advice. And I love your definition of sacred, um, bringing it back to that which we would remember on our deathbed. It's beautiful. You're welcome. As a, a nice orientation around what is sacred in our life, what gives us meaning, 
what is the aliveness and the magic of our life itself. Um, which again ties really well into that idea of authenticity and, and pleasure, really letting ourselves honor um, that which just genuinely feels so good in our lives and, and seeing the innocence of it. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I have one sexual rule, which is no performance. No performance. So we can think of like a theatrical performance. You're you're putting your creativity into it, and it's it's a fun thing. I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you are dissociating from your own pleasure, what feels good to you, to to try to get a goal for the other person, to try to perform to their standards, while disconnecting from your own body, which I call your your body, your female animal. And your female animal has her own feelings, her own needs and sensations and in sex, you must be present with her, with what you're feeling. Uh, so I used to do that. I mean, the classic thing would be like giving the blow job that, you know, women say like, oh, I hate giving a blow job and I just give it for him. Like, no, if you don't like it, don't do it. How can you do that in a way where, you know, you like it? So then, you know, with women, what, what is the version of that where you're just doing it for her? Like, make that your golden rule. No, you don't do that. Um, how can you enjoy, you know, how it feels in your mouth, how it feels to your fingers? How is this idea of taking touch? So can you touch someone to give them pleasure? That can also start to get into a performance. Can you touch them? And as you're touching them, take pleasure from how your fingers are caressing them. And this is a great experiment and it it always works. If you try to touch someone to give them pleasure versus you try to touch them to receive pleasure by touching them, it's always better when you are focused on your own, your own pleasure in the experience. Yeah. And so much more connected that way. Right. So that also could help with the lesbian bed death is to yeah stop performing and what do you actually enjoy absolutely talk can we talk more about this female animal what else should we know about her well there's your mind and your body and they both are centers of intelligence and you know i've written a book uh i'm very very proud of that i can say smart things with my mind and, and think complex thoughts and that's great And there's an intelligence in my body. If I fall and cut myself, it's my body that heals. If I digest food, it's my body doing that. And I fall asleep at night and I'm able to wake up in the morning, that's my body. If I were ever to make a baby, that's my body. And the intelligence of the mind needs to really be humbled to that intelligence and respect it. And the problem is in our culture, we don't respect the intelligence of the body. Just like we don't respect Mother Nature. Oh, Mother Nature, great. Log it up, you know, mine it up. Let's get, let's profit from this earth. Instead of saying, wow, how can we be in symbiosis with the planet for eternal sustainability? Um, it's much more, yeah. How do you say that? You know, trying to get something, extraction. Extraction, yeah, absolutely. Attitude. And that's how we interact with the body. What can I get from my body? Can I get an orgasm? Can I get a hot body? You know, can I, so on. Instead of saying, how can I be with my body? And my whole approach, I wrote a book called Pleasurable Weight Loss, is about how can you transform your body with your body? Or let's say emotional eating is one of my specialties. How can you align with your body to get to the root of this hunger rather than imposing a diet. It's like a mind over body. So I'm totally against uh, control over the body in that sense. And it's about collaboration with the body, cooperation with that. Your body is your primary relationship. Anyone else will, will come and go over time, but your body will always be there with you. And so the most important step I recommend here is to think of her as a she, instead of thinking of your body as an it, which is correct in English language, the body, it is, blah, 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 say she. She is this. She wants this. She feels this. And personify your body. 
dignify your body as its own, as her own entity, her own, um, her own spirit. And I mean, someone, some woman might identify with kind of like a he, she spirit and feel like they have a, a sort of a combo male and female animal. Uh, but whatever, whatever's true to you, you know, with the masculine and the feminine. Right. The gender not- doesn't matter. What matters is really relating to our body as a, a, an actual animal. Yeah. It's a real uh, warm blooded furry creature and all animals in nature know how to eat to be in balance. And I used to have an eating disorder. I used to be bulimic and a binge eater and a sugar addict. And I just studied nutrition and had all this mind stuff, but I still was binging. And it was this that broke me through when my teacher said, you're not listening to her. And I was like, who? You're like, your body, your female animal, you're not listening to her. You're not respecting her. So that would be, you know, part of uh, rehabilitating your sex life wherever you're at, or if it's good, taking it to great is, are you listening to her? Can you listen to her? more closely what is she murmuring to you what is she telling you and the body speaks through sensations and feelings emotions and other messages that bubble up and we get those intuitive hits and like do you really listen or do you just like cast that to the side i love all of this i think the idea of calling our body she is so sexy listening to her respecting her that's so sexy um and of course, really tapping into the fact that our body is the more ancient part of us. The mind developed later in time, as you were talking about the reptilian brain and the limbic and the neocortex. And our thinking brain is such a later version of ourselves. So that intelligence that is present in our body that can heal wounds and, um, and create babies and all these things, it is just a genius beyond measure and understanding how she speaks to us. As you say, it's through sensations and feelings. Can we, what, what, what are some ways that we can start to understand when she's speaking to us? I mean, an obvious one is I'm, you're tired. So many people are like, okay, I'm going to have another coffee and I'm going to push through and I'm going to stimulate myself rather than I'm going to take a 15 minute nap right now and rejuvenate. Um, what would be another one? Um, I mean, with, with pleasure, something my, my clients will tell me is that when, and thinking one particular client who's been, has had a, a, a traumatic, um, upbringing, uh, growing up, um, not in the West, but in a, in a very patriarchal other part of the world where it's just, Gosh, abuse. They don't even really see it as abuse. It's just normal. And um, she finds, and many clients have told me this, that when the pleasure actually does come up, that they block it. And rather than allowing it. And, you know, for, for a sense of safety, for a sense of control, for a sense of being consumed by it, if they, they let it go rather than realizing that they can safely hold that and, and enjoy it and they deserve it. So it's, it's, it's also your erotic innocence. It's your, it's sort of the same thing. Your body speaking to you. Oh, I'm curious about that. I like that. I don't like that. Um, yeah, different sensations and, and messages that, that come through that would point you somewhere or that would, uh, I mean, the, the ones that say I don't like that are as important as the ones that say I do like that. And those include? Well, that would be when it's like, oh, I don't really want to do that, but I should do that. And then we do it anyway. Mm. So when you feel that contraction, like, uh, no, thank you, to listen to that. And if you feel like you're constrained by saying no to yourself all the time, then taking those baby steps to safely say, okay, well, can I, we just try this? And I don't feel like sex right now, but can we try breast massage or some incremental steps. So if we're feeling no, asking our body, asking her, what can we say yes to? Exactly. I love that. And I also love how you talked before about the idea of being in collaboration and cooperation with her, as opposed to this, the, the desire to control ourselves, almost as if we're against 
against ourselves. Right. And you can see the patriarchal motifs here. Are we a society where, you know, men control women or the, you know, the powers control the powers of the few control the many, or are we, um, are we tribal? Are we communal? Are we based in feminine earth centered values where every plant collaborates with the other? Obviously there's a sense of competition in nature too, but there's diversity, there's thriving, there's, you know, uh, permaculture shows us that the food is better than monoculture because all the plants contribute to each other and all the different insects and organisms come around and diversity and collaboration is is scientifically better. So do that with yourself. You're speaking my language. It's beautiful. Um, so what do you want every woman to know? If you could have a billboard that every woman would see, what would you put on it? What do you want every woman to know about herself? Georgiana, I think it would be the erotic innocence piece. Your guilt, your, your pleasure is innocent. It's shameless. It's guiltless. And the way to be, to really know your pleasure is to be present in the senses with a quiet mind and yeah, does it expand you or does it contract you into to follow that compass? We're going to need some copy editing to get that to billboard size, but some some punchy little quip about erotic innocence and letting go of the guilt and shame. I think it's amazing. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have? Well, second thoughts for the billboard. Maybe I could just say women try girls. <laughs> women try girls. <laughs> <And> try women. <laughs> I love it. Try women. Yummy. Yeah, try women. That's a good one. <laughs> Isn't that like a got milk or something? Got milk, try women. Got I think, girl. You want to know the truth is I think I did see that written on a bathroom once in college before I had ever tried. <laughs> and it definitely opened my eyes a little bit. So maybe we should show that to more people. Yeah, like uh, fear of being with another woman is a patriarchal brainwashing. Uh, liberate yourself. Well, have you ever been with a straight woman that, that was nervous about it. What do you, what do, what are some experiences with that? Like I've, I don't like straight girls. I tend to want people who definitely want me back. Um, and I think it's a re I think the reason is because I spent, I, I didn't come out until I was 23 and just the experience. And I really don't like being with men. It doesn't feel right. Even though I love men as people, just the feeling of being intimate with them feels so wrong in my body that I always have this paranoia that that's how they're going to feel with me. And I never want anyone else to feel that way with me, the way that I felt with guys. So I really steer clear of straight girls. Um, so the idea of that billboard, it, it only gives me pause for that reason. But do you have any thoughts on that? Hmm. You asked me before uh, we began the interview about an early experience with a woman. And I was once in India and met a, met a, a stranger and wonderful woman she took me home to her family home and um she had her husband and kids and let me like sleep in the, the guest room and one of her neighbors was just hanging around and decided to sleep over as well and in the, in the night she she initiated and she came on to me and I was like wow I wasn't expecting this <laughs> and we had an experience and the next day in the morning, she was hanging her head in shame, literally. Like, she didn't speak any English, didn't speak any Hindi. We had zero language sharing capability. And she was like, oh, like, feeling the shame the next day. And in, in the best I could, just saying to her, like, it's okay. It's beautiful. Like, don't worry. It's just helping her not, not, feel, not feel the guilt. This is an amazing story. So you're in a country with a woman who speaks not a word of your language. There's no communication. It's the middle of the night. She just happens to be there and came on to you. How did she even know to do that? Well, that's, I would say that's the erotic innocence. That's, she must have felt safe. You know, I wasn't going to get her pregnant. I wasn't going to hurt her. And she was, I think she would have been a teenager. Let's say she was 18. And I was 21. And 
she was probably horny. So, but how did she know you'd be down? How did this even happen? This is an amazing story. The power of Jenna Laflamme. I can't. <laughs> I can't explain further, Jordana. That's just what went down. I was in India for two years, and that never happened to me again. So I was uh, grateful for that one experience. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. Like mm-hmm. I say, some women are just magnetically attractive. So there you have it. Yeah. And what do we say? There's no such thing as a straight woman. It's only bisexual. They just haven't realized yet. So. Ha. (laughs) (laughs) Do you believe that's true? Um, in the sense that we're all descendants of those cave women who everyone took care of their sexual needs. Yes, I do believe that. Um, however, in the modern day, the conditioning can be so strong and the, you know, the non-permission the lack of permission, you know, for a lot of women to explore that, they would have to be cheating. They would, they would. And so I think in, in practical terms that it doesn't really manifest like that, but I do believe in our essence and our DNA for sure. We, we love, we love people. And actually I remember being at Burning Man and there's this thing, it's like the foam machine and you go in and you're naked and like all this foam comes down and you're meant to like rub each other. And I was like rubbing what I thought was a woman. <laughs> like, oh, I like this girl. And then when the foam goes away and you can see again, it, it was a man. I was like, oh, <laughs> I see that. So <laughs> shows like the, it's so relative. It really is. The, the feminine and energy, the fem- feminine and masculine energy. I mean, transgenderism it's just it's beyond little boxes we're, we're human we love pleasure we love sharing you know everyone has their different boundaries but I think it's all pretty fluid so just getting back to this idea of if of, of freeing up the bandwidth for anyone who doesn't currently love her body what advice do you have about women for what advice do you have for women that don't currently love their body so that they can actually free up that bandwidth and get over that Great question. We need to look to nature. Again, remembering our bodies are a female animal. Look in nature, you see trees, you see plants, you see birds of all different forms. And those birds, those trees are living their lives and not having that sense of like, oh, do I fit in? Am I good enough? That is a purely human condition. And it is it's really fueled by capitalism and it's really important to remember this in the cave days we didn't have bad body image nowadays ooh, buy my cream you know buy my diet oh if you get this car you know you're gonna feel good about yourself so it's advertisers literally admit this they make people feel bad so that they will then oh, see their product as the solution So on an intellectual level to really understand how the system is trying to make you feel bad about yourself for someone else's profit. And I hope that will like raise this kind of holy anger in you that you're like, no, I will not succumb to that oppression. I will love myself. And then it's that acceptance. You know, what, what do you love about yourself? Okay, you have big thighs. Well, what's great about big thighs? Well, they're soft, they're juicy, they've got a great bounce to them. Uh, there's, I mean, hugging a big person, there's like a lot of, mm, there's just a lot of pleasure in, in more flesh, but maybe it's not about being big. Maybe you think you're too skinny. Um, whatever it is to drop into this, appreciation your body keeps you alive your your body keeps your heart beating your body gives you this opportunity to engage with existence to love to be loved and to have this immense gratitude without your body you'd be dead and when you get that more existential appreciation of your body then it's easier to accept the warts and all the wrinkles whatever it may be And then if you do want to say, hey, I'd like to uh, improve my body or I'd like to adjust my body, then you're coming at it from my body's amazing. And what else would she like? Well, she really would like to do dancing. Okay, that's going to bring more fitness and vitality. It's not coming from a place of I'm bad. How can I fix myself? How can I change myself? How can I cut myself apart? 
no, I'm I'm great as I am, and and how can I explore even more and in, enjoy this vessel for aliveness? And as you said before, the idea of cooperation and collaboration, so where then where you're touching into your body, and maybe she wants to dance, or maybe she wants to do those things, where now you're in partnership and symbiosis, and it's not extraction. And I love that. And I also love remembering that anything that we're telling ourselves, or we say I'm not good enough, that's just consumerism brainwashing that isn't even true exactly it's just it's just a lie we've been told and told and told and told to the point where we actually believe in it right Um, and then when we're eating to really eat with pleasure not with the mind do i have the right calories screw that what's on the plate smell it taste it feel it i do blindfolded tasting experiences with my clients sometimes and they will eat just a little bit and then afterwards I'll show them that's just how much you ate and they couldn't believe it it seems like a huge amount because they're focused they're tasting they're smelling they're feeling Uh, we get much more satisfied and it's necessary to have that sensory component to the food that's why there's no such thing as an effective diet pill that um, replaces food because biologically we need all the senses to be gratified in order to have a a proper digestive experience. And people can learn more about that in Pleasurable Weight Loss is the name of your book? Yes, Pleasurable Weight Loss is my book. Also at pleasurableweightloss.com, I have a free seven-day guide. And where can they buy the book? Is it on the the website? Uh, Yes, pleasurableweightloss.com slash book, or it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, things like that. Well, the world is lucky to have someone like you that really speak to the parts of us that people do carry shame around and speak of it so beautifully. Um, And I hope that anyone listening has really been able to take from that. Thank you so much for sharing all this. You're welcome. And it was a few years ago that I had the courage to come out publicly as a bisexual woman before I'd always had sort of like my, my private life. My friends know about that. You know, for a while I was a lesbian when I was doing a sexual healing and then I realized, okay, I can love both. And then, but publicly I was straight appearing. And then I reached this point of courage of like, no, I want to be a bisexual activist. I want to be a voice that says women, like you're missing out on something if you don't allow yourself. And actually one of my exes, when someone would say like, oh, you know, he, he was bisexual. Oh, you you play with men, he would say, you stop yourself. <laughs> and it's just that sense of like, I, we all, we all have that curiosity somewhere. And, you know, why, why stop yourself? So where can women find you? Where people, where can people go to learn more? Um, dot com is my, my home base. And I have a guide there, a free ebook called 11 ways to overcome your inhibitions and have all the pleasure you want. And if you, you'll get a follow up from that, which is the 12 mistakes most women make when trying to unleash their orgasms. So there's some good material there. Another direct way to actually talk with me is at pleasureconsult.com. And that's where you can get on my calendar and apply for a free session with me. And what I'm focusing on these days is I call it sacred sexual empowerment. So that's for women of, of you know, all orientations to, yeah, to feel the sacredness in their body, to feel the empowerment, the liberation, the erotic innocence, and to get those skills to, to be an educated lover, to, yeah, know how with yourself, know how with your partner. Uh, there's so much finesse that we can can bring to sex, and it's it's the energy, it's the the spirit of it, it's it's the whole thing together. And then the other component is the body confidence, which is sort of follow on from my pleasurable weight loss book, where like how can you really enjoy your body? How can you be confident with your body? I'm not saying, hey, lose weight to change your body, but um, with what you've got to to truly embrace it because walking around with this like, oh, I'm not, my body's not good enough can ruin your life. And it's just such a waste of bandwidth that I don't want any woman ever walking around with that bad body image. So that's why I work on those hand in hand. Some women come more for wanting body confidence, some for the sexual empowerment, some for both. 
That's what I do. Thank you so much, Jenna. This has been wonderful. I'm so grateful for your time. You're welcome, Jordana. Thanks for your voice in the media. And now I would love to hear from you. Jenna and I talked about a whole lot of things in this interview, but I'm curious. What of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're ready to find the love of your life so you can be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and have amazing sex together, then there are free resources that can help you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a quick guide to the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out, a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams, and a guidebook for finding the love of your life if you haven't already met her. All of this is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of those things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding the love of your life faster and easier and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, don't forget that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women.